When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey everyone, Yas here and I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have another fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favour to ask and that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends and don't forget to get in touch guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter at the Coaches Net. Once again, that's at the Coaches Net. And please make sure you do, as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, on to today's show. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great day, guys. The Coaches Network. Hey, guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas, and I've got a very special guest with me this evening. My guest today is Chris Pipe. How are you doing, Chris? Yeah, very good, Yas. Um, good to be on. Thanks for inviting me on. Looking forward to the chat. Likewise, I'm really, really, really looking forward to it, especially to kind of delve into your experience as a goalkeeping coach as well. Um, and I've given a bit of it away there, but just give us a bit of a background on who you are, what you do for those that don't know who you are. Yeah, so yeah, just as you said, um, so my role is goalkeeping coach. Um, currently, I'm women's first team goalkeeping coach at West Ham. Um, held previous role with England under 23s with the women's in the pathway um, and the season before with Tottenham as well. So kind of varied experience in terms of performance um, and also work through boys academies and things like Arsenal and um, kind of a multitude of elements and we obviously met as well in a goalkeeping course as well so it's a varied range and um, so yeah hopefully I can shed some light on a couple of things and interesting topics. Amazing so let's let's, let's dive straight in then Chris you know right to the start of your journey how did you get involved in coaching where did that come from and you know talk us through what maybe got you hooked in it? Yeah really I think um obviously playing football and things like that and, and certain academies and what it looked like from grassroots and my dad coached grassroots teams and essentially I was about 16 and he was coaching kids and my team and the age groups had like, like youngers like under sevens and under eights and just started helping out there to be honest and um, obviously back then it was slightly different and um, I'm 35 now so it feels a lifetime ago but I got my level two when I was like 17 and we could do an in situ one, which was obviously a really good element. And then from there, just through playing and did some teaching qualifications and in terms of primary school, secondary school, colleges with football just going on, you know, all throughout. So actually it was probably through my dad doing coaching at grassroots level and me helping out coaching six and seven year olds and just got the bug from there. Awesome. And obviously, you know, you, you talk there about it being several years ago. How has the landscape of coaching shifted for you in terms of what coaching should look like and what good coaching might look like? Yeah, massively. Um, in such a short pace of time, in terms of obviously my role, even, you know, you think in 20 years ago, there wasn't really goalkeeping coaches as such. Um, there was limited knowledge in terms of what football should be in terms of qualifications and, and who held those and academies. You know, there was not really academies or certain ages or they started from a certain age and there was no 21s it was just reserves and then first team so the whole landscape changed and I think in terms of like in possession coaches out of possession coaches unit coaches set play coaches it's a modern trend isn't it where there's a lot more roles in terms of what it looks like and just helps us you know perform better and help the players better really you know just kind of building on that then you know you mentioned there obviously 
all the different type of roles that do exist. And I think it's, it's great to see that, you know, we're starting to see more specialists in different areas of the game. And um, do, you, do, you, do you, you know, do you find that maybe how coaching is delivered now is very much different as well, not just in, because of the specialists, but just methodology and, 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 how, and how's that, how's that maybe shaped, been shaped and influenced, you know, within your journey in terms of where you thought coaching should be when you first started or what it should look like and how that's now transitioned to now? Yeah, great question, actually. I think a lot of maybe when we do coaching and the qualification from my personal perspective, this is you think about yourself and how you should coach and what that looks like. But actually, the biggest thing is about the players that you're coaching and they need different things at different times. So, you know, doing a B license or an A license, of course, you learn all the knowledge in terms of what you need to do. But how you deliver that is really important. So that could be that you do a demonstration. That could be that you talk someone through it. It could be that you show someone something before they arrive to the session because they're that type of learner and how you communicate you know how fast you talk all those things probably don't get taught in a qualification but it's actually really important in terms of general coaching so going back to like my teaching background you then get taught about behaviors and um, how to control a class and control a group and what to look for in signs where obviously a football qualification is more detailed isn't it so in terms of having that knowledge is how we imply that knowledge and put it to the deliver it to the group that's most effective because anyone can have the qualifications and having the knowledge but how you put it to the group is really key isn't it so i think understanding your players is massive and i think back then even now to a certain extent you still do it you think about what does it look like for me and what do i need to get out of it but actually it's about how you get that message to the players which i think has probably become more relevant and um, over the last few years of um, empowering players and what does that look like and I think that's then incorporated into the A licenses and when we tutor the goalkeeping courses think about your players how do we deliver it you're starting mm -hmm. to incorporate those messages now where I don't think that was the case years ago and from a personal experience. Yeah no, I 100% agree with you I think it's just really been a bit more bespoke and considered around what players actually need. It's something that was quite interesting obviously you mentioned that you know you you know working through different licenses and getting that, that general football knowledge um, Obviously, you mentioned it a couple of times that we, you know, we 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 initially met, obviously delivering goalkeeping courses together, um, but quite interesting. I, I don't actually consider myself a goalkeeping coach. Do you do you consider yourself a goalkeeping coach? Yeah, good question. Um, I'd like to think no. Um, so my role with England on twenty threes was I would do attacking and defending set plays that would include varieties from penalties to throw ins. Um, to kick offs, you know, as well as your corners and your and and your wide free kicks. Um, so at West Ham, I do unit specific work. So I work on playing out from the back, um, which is really integrated in terms of how the team want to play and what that looks like. So I'll take a unit, whether that's the goalkeeper in the back four, the back four and the centre midfield and whatever that looks like. I do attacking set plays, defending set plays. Um, I lead team meetings. So I like to think that that comes with a bit of trust as well. But of course, goalkeepers is my primary focus in terms of what it looks like. But then on a match day, I'll have a focus around substitutions, around what the opposition are doing and feeding that back to the manager. So, yeah, yeah if there's a new name for it, that's fine. But I think a lot of goalkeeping coaches do enjoy having you know other responsibilities as well, because, of course, we love coaching the goalkeepers and having that as uh, a prime thing that we do. But being involved in the team and the the team respecting you and having that um I'm not saying authority but you know that that they listen to you if that makes yeah. sense and I always got told I think it was Martin Thomas at the time like when you deliver take your gloves off it was one of those so I've done with the goalkeepers take my gloves off and it just shows that you're a coach not a goalkeeper coach you know little things like that that yeah. just integrate you in the team and I think the players to be fair might not call me a goalkeeping coach they see me as a coach but I quite like that as well and yeah. I've done my A license in terms of outfield and obviously I don't have as much experience delivering outfield sessions as I do goalkeeping sessions but I really enjoy it as well and how do I integrate the goalkeepers because that helps the goalkeepers if I'm Oops. good at my outfield and then I can help the goalkeepers in terms of how we want to play and how we want to press but also on the other way so if I know how other teams press us and I fully understand that I can help my goalkeeper in terms of them playing out from the back and what do they need to look for so it does all interlink and I just think a bit like what we spoke about in terms of your own personal knowledge it's just gaining as much information as you can to help your players that you work with really that's the, yeah. that's the key element 
No, no, I really like what you said there because, you know, fundamentally, we are just coaches, right? And it's interesting because I actually never um, planned on going into the world of goalkeeping coaching. Um, but I've had experiences doing that and I kind of, you know, where, where my kind of journey kind of delved into goalkeeping elements in the first place was I just wanted to get more knowledge, right? Because I've got, you know, I've got some knowledge of how to work with players and I'm going back many years ago. So my, my kind of first step on, my, on the ladder of goalkeeping coach was doing a goalkeeper level two many years ago. And actually, um, I think it actually transformed the way in which I coach um, because, you know, I think goalkeeping is such a, is, is such a, it's got such a laser focus on the biomechanics and things like that, that actually that probably wasn't really um, emphasised enough, in my opinion, mm. on you know, the core coaching qualifications. So I kind of really took that and it really set me up really well to kind of go on onto the B license. So, you know, I'm interested to kind of, you know, how did that? How did you get into that journey for yourself, and what were your experiences around that? And you know, you talked about getting your level two at, at seventeen. Um, what was the draw to goalkeeping in particular? Was it were, were you a goalkeeper yourself, or yeah? Is it, yeah, it's funny that you say that. Someone actually asked me this the other day because, obviously, where I lead some outfield sessions, they actually said, "Does it work the other way around? So, are there any outfield players that become goalkeeping coaches?" Now, I don't actually know any. <laughs> But whether that's a trend that happens, because it could happen. Um, but normally it's, yeah, I was a goalkeeper or goalkeeping coaches generally were goalkeepers. I don't actually know anyone of the other real, you know, that's just the way that it works. But that would be interesting. Does that happen in the future as well? But yeah, essentially I played in goal as well. Um, nothing, you know, to shout about semi-professional and grassroots and got into the teaching and coaching at a young age. So essentially I've been coaching from 16 years old from four to five-year-olds to primary schools to secondary schools to holiday clubs to academy football to performance football you can kind of name it I've done it in terms of the coaching which I think gives me the enough experience to deliver in the way that you need to deliver um but yeah so essentially it was just me playing in goal and working through those qualifications and but I like being involved in teams and groups so I don't want to just be left with the goalkeepers. I want to integrate with the group. I want to work in the group because I yeah. can feel like I can add value in it. And I think a lot of goalkeeping coaches, you know, that we come across are similar to that. They they like to be involved. Yeah, and I think there's a, there's a really interesting point that you made earlier about, you know, that trust piece because, you know, you talked there about wanting to be part of the team, wanting to be involved in, the, you know, the collective coaching elements, if you like. But fundamentally, there is that there is that barrier of trust. How much does the goalkeeping coach actually know? Actually, in, in many respects, you can argue the goalkeeping coach might on paper no more <laughs> right and then there's that there's that yeah. argument to be had in this but then i think equally you get that other piece where I, you know i don't know if what your experience where i've even experienced goalkeeping coaches like, who've got no interest in actually doing anything related to the kind of core, core quote coaching qualifications and they just want to pursue the goalkeeping part of it but you know mm -hmm. you know you've touched on it earlier actually well actually it all links you need to understand this piece so you can support them with that piece right i guess you know how has that transition been from you in your journey in terms of have you always, you know, you talked about wanting to be in teams. How do you start to break that barrier? How do you start yeah. to build that relationship to the point where the outfall coaches do start to trust what, the, the knowledge, if you like, because that's really the, that's really the fundamental factor, isn't it? That yeah. You know, they don't, they, there's not enough faith in that. Yeah, 100%. And um, I think, again, I mentioned his name, like Martin Thomas was obviously quite a big piece in terms of through the qualifications. You'll know him as well in terms of what that looked like. And, I think even back on the B licenses back then, he was like one of the easiest ways to gain trust is around set plays. Or, you know, you kind of offer input in terms of the sessions. So when you're doing a session brief, you don't just sit there, you offer input in terms of what they're talking about. So then the staff actually know, oh, actually you want to have an input in this because otherwise, normally if you don't say anything, or back then if you didn't say anything, you just get left with the goalkeepers. So it's kind of on you as a person to be like, oh, actually, I think we could do this or I think we could do that. And then I think going back to the trust thing, different coaches might use you for different things. So um, at West Ham, I'll do some other unit specific work. Um, at England, I might do some finishing. So sometimes a goalkeeper coach would lead the finishing because it might be that they understand what you know the goalkeeper needs or you know the best finishes for the goalkeeper and then the goalkeepers and strikers work together and say actually I don't like it when you do this and actually you know when you set like that I'd like that because of this and you get that dual responsibility then don't you so I think it just depends on the manager and what you work with and what you feel comfortable with as well in terms of what that looks like but I think now you spoke about what the coaching looks like nowadays I think more than ever probably goalkeeping coaches do a lot more 
than what they did previously. And you might have three other you have conversations, but they either do a defending set play or they do something additional to their role now. And I think that's becoming more prevalent. It's just interesting because obviously, you know, I agree with you. I think there is definitely becoming more prevalent. I, you know, I'm just conscious to whether. I think sometimes as coaches in general, we fall into a trap of having having that, you know, that mindset of, well, we need to know everything. We need to know about, you know, this, that and this and that, whether it's goalkeeping, whether it's outfield, whether it's defending, whether it's attacking. But actually, fundamentally, we've all got different areas of, of, of expertise, right? And I think that's that's one of the biggest things that I learned, especially when I started working in different, you know, multiple disciplinary teams, that actually we're all experts in our own in our own domain. Yeah. What can we learn from each other? What can we, uh, you know, how can we lean on one another to make sure that we maximise the impact and the influence that we're having on the players? Um, because fundamentally, you're going to have a different perspective to me, you know, for someone who's now, you know, like I said, I feel like I understand a fair bit about the position of the goalkeeper and the role of the goalkeeper, but I, would, I wouldn't consider myself a goalkeeping coach. And that trust piece, I'm now thinking back on my own experiences where I'm sure you'll appreciate you can't you can't just work with a goalkeeper one to one or with a small group of goalkeepers just the goalkeepers and have nothing else around it because it's just going to be technical work and actually when do we start to bridge that te- the tactical piece and all the you know that building the relationship between them and the unit and I remember having a a bit of you know exactly what you just said having the opportunity to just say actually no I think we need this if you really want us to work with these goalkeepers and make these goalkeepers better then they're going to need to start working with players and um. That was that was that was an opportunity for me in, in that in that moment to kind of start building that trust. But initially, I just got given the players that were coming back from injury or or, or anything like that. But eventually, you know, get to a point where it's actually well, all right, you can work with the back four, you can work with the defenders, and they might not be the main players on the first team, but actually, you can clearly do that. And I, you know, so I, it, how have you gone about building that trust? I know you talked there about going into set plays, and you know, have you ever faced any resistance with that sort of stuff? And you know, have you have you kind of overcome that? Yeah, I think as well, going back to your point about how we integrate, I think as well that the rules of the game change, wasn't it? When the goalkeepers can use their feet and playing out from the back becomes more prevalent now, doesn't it? So I think now where the goalkeeper is involved more in the build and in possession, then actually they just have to be involved in the session more. They have to be integrated more, which means the goalkeeping coach has to be integrated more. So it's kind of twofold. Um, in terms of challenges, I don't think there's been any challenges from the players. I think you get questions and queries and as long as you can answer those back and add some clarity in terms of what that is and you can justify your answer then that's fine Um, and then in terms of staff I think going back to in terms of like building the trust that's you asking questions that's you having those conversations and and all those elements then just pick up from there you know, I guess you now it's interesting because I've got a goalkeeper coach, and most of the most of the coaches or the individual I do speak to are typically outfield coaches or um, work in different capacities within the game. What would you say some of the biggest things that outfield coaches can learn from the goalkeeping coach? Well, I've always found this quite interesting. You know, mm. it is that you know that kind of uh, clashing of two worlds in in some respect, right? And there is that ego piece which all of us coaches have. Yeah, it's interesting. I think obviously we take loads from them and in terms of like working more collaboratively, like we said, if I, you know, if I want to be classed as a coach as well, you know, we're all working in it together. But I think the the main difference is obviously the amount of players that we work with on a daily basis. So we might work with two or three constantly. So the way that we build relationships with the goalkeepers are a bit more individual than what a manager has with 22 players, just because we have those touch points more often don't we essentially so I think that we build relationships with the players that we have because we have a smaller group we can have more individual meetings with them because we have those smaller input and then obviously we can discuss more technical detail because we we have so many actions within that 30 40 minute session what what we might have because we only have two or three players we're obviously a manager as or a coach has 22 players within that moment and of course they pick things out but they probably won't go in as much detail as often with that individual just because of the volume of players. So I think a lot of it around like the technical work and the technical attributes and how that crosses over with S&C and all those movements, we just get that opportunity because we work with less players and yeah, essentially like on a two or three basis every day, don't we? So just, just on that then, you know, I'm just thinking out loud and I'm thinking to myself, right, You've had the experiences working as goalkeeping coach. You've had, you know, you had those elements where you've had to. Oh, can you hear me, Chris? 
Yeah, yeah, I got you. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, yeah, it was just cutting out for a second. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, you've had this experience working as a goalkeeping coach, and you know, one of the biggest things that you kind of talked about is your experiences across different elements of the game. Um, and I think over the last kind of twelve or so months, where I'm you know doing a lot more coach mentoring and coach developing, working with coaches both in the male game and the female game, I've certainly had my own you know kind of perceptions changed, and you know my mind kind of opened up around some of the real big considerations and differences between the male and the female player. What, what are your thoughts on that? And what are some of the things that you've identified from from your perspective as a goalkeeping coach? Because I'm really conscious that the game is, you know, the game is the game, but actually the game looks different because of these individual differences, right? And, the, and it's not just based on different types of plays within one element of the game, but actually fundamentally the female game is is in some respects different to the male game in that. Yeah, I think... Obviously, physically, there'll be different um, just in terms of gender specific. Um, but actually, coming into the game, there is no difference um, in terms of what we want to try and coach, um, the techniques, the basis. Again, it just leads to individual characteristics. So um, coaching a women's goalkeeper, the principles are exactly the same as what it would be for a men's goalkeeper because you know we're trying to teach them the same things. The game is very progressive in the women's side as it is on the men's side. So again, you're you're coaching all the in possession elements, you're coaching the the playing into, the onto's, the beyond. Of course, as we said, there's some physical characteristics that are different just due to the gender, but it doesn't change the ideas and the principles around how you want to work. So in terms of like the set plays, for example, you know, what we try to do would be exactly the same as what the men's would try and do. We try to create a philosophy, we try to create principles, we try to create, you know, must-haves and non-negotiables and you know what those look like and of course some of the trends in the women's game are different to the men's game and you know what that might be from the boys game and then you just you know you roll from there so you identify how goals are scored in the women's game is there any difference in the men's game and um, how can you incorporate that into your session so ultimately i haven't changed you know a thought similar to yourself would i have to change anything in terms of what i delivered but you learn very quickly that actually you know the professionalism around what that looks like in the women's game or you know the way it's all structured there is no there is no difference the principles are exactly the same and you just adjust the individual for their their strengths and characteristics to make them as effective as possible basically yeah no i thought you get that yeah and just as you're thinking i'm thinking out loud and saying to myself well, what are some of the common things that i observe from coaches especially when they're not goalkeeping coaches in particular around how they try and support the goalkeeper and it, it, a real bugbear of mine is when um you see coaches and it, it could just be due to a you know a lack of knowledge maybe but it's you know, little phrases like, you know, come on, goalkeeper, talk to your back line or, um, you know, little things like this. Well, well, I get that. I get what you're trying to get at. You want them to be, you know, communicating. But what, what are your thoughts on that in terms of well, what what should be communicated, what shouldn't be communicated? There's going to be a lot of outfield coaches listening to this right now and thinking, yeah, well, I want to know how to help my goalkeeper. Mm. I'm not a yeah. goalkeeping coach, um, but I want to know how to help my goalkeeper in a way that is actually meaningful and impactful. So, you know, where, where do they begin to start from that in your, in your perspective, from your perspective? Yeah, it's a really tough one. Everyone says that, you know, how do you encourage them to do this and how to be social, what to say? The biggest thing is about empowering them in the session. So if you want them to talk, you've got to get them to talk in your session. And that can be, right, you, you lead this part of the session for me. Can you organise the group for me? Can you go and tell so-and-so to do this for me and you've got to give them empowerment to go and talk to someone forget the detail of what that looks like they just need confidence to be able to talk when you give them the confidence to be able to talk then you can start adding a bit of detail about how quick you say things how loud you want to say things and when you say it but actually you can't do it the other way around so you can't tell them all the detail of what to say when to say it but you don't give them the opportunities within your session to say it so coaching at the academies, we used to, you know, it might be under nines and they get to lead a small side of game as a, as a group of five. They have to ref it, they have to talk. All of a sudden, they're always talking to each other about the rules and what that looks like. Yes, it's not specific to the game, but it encourages them to talk. It encourages them to be confident to talk. Then when they are confident, then you can start, you know, putting in the detail about, you know, you could say that to him there. And that's the biggest thing. It's not about what you want them to say. It's getting them to talk first. <laughs> so I think yeah. as goalkeeping coaches, get them to do it in your session when there's two or three of them. 
oh, could you set up this game for us? And could you explain the rules to everyone? Great, perfect. That just starts something that they're confident to talk. And then you will start to see it within sessions, within teams from there. And just building on that, then obviously, you know, in many environments, they'll be lucky to even have one goalkeeper, let alone a few, right? Yeah. So another, you know, another common challenge for a lot of outfield coaches, well, I've got one goalkeeper, how do I cater for them when I've got, you know, a squad of outfield players, essentially? What's the balance? You know, how do I get them involved without them just being a body in the goal? And this this is a bit, you know, again, another bugbear of mine, when I, when I have done goalkeeping coaching roles in the past, where actually there's no consideration for the goalkeeper if the goalkeeping coach isn't in place. Um, it's almost like literally you've set up a practice and you're not even considering actually this practice is actually giving nothing to the goalkeeper at all. You just got a body in the goal for the sake of it. So you know what? What are your thoughts on that? What are your experiences around that? And and what are maybe some considerations you think goal you know outfall coaches or just general coaches could be starting to take on board around how to get more outcomes for the goalkeeper without actually having a goalkeeping coach present. Yeah, obviously it depends as well on, you know, their educational background, their coaching background, you know, some of them might be parents and joining in and just happy that they've got their kids running around and that's great, isn't it? Um, but actually now I think having the goalkeeper as a player is really important. So not just having them at the end of something because it's a shot and that's what you want to do. But maybe something that I suggested to someone who, who did some grassroots is just always have the goalkeeper as um, number one in terms of what that looks like on the session so if the goalkeeper is always the top name on your list you then know how to incorporate those in your sessions you can then start to look at things like um, them being a bounce player at the end they can join in with play so even if you're doing a, a small sided game and you don't want a, a goal in it they can be an outfield player because that will help their feet um, but yeah it's kind of putting the goalkeeper in the middle of your practice in, in terms of a name and thinking right what could work for them okay great I'll do that and actually even if you have one bit of your session that really works for them that's a massive improvement isn't it so it's not making the whole session because that can be challenging for for some coaches just one little bit that can help them that would be really helpful yeah I think just to build on that, I think you're right you know you can't, the whole session can't be about them but I think um indirectly right and this is obviously has it you know you, you, you're talking at a very basic level in terms of recreation or maybe start entry kind of yeah. level as you build that up and you know there's gonna be coaches that are probably working in that space listening to this too where they're thinking well okay well i get that but they you know they've they've already got that but at some point as you start to build up your sessions and you know if you've got a curriculum in place and if it's you know if it's structured correctly and whatnot indirectly some of the sessions are really directed around certain players anyway aren't they yeah position specific yeah i mean yeah. well even you if you don't go on position specific route right because you, you know I was, I was speaking to a coach just last night or even sorry two players last night and they were saying um one of the biggest things that they've noticed in the environment they're currently training into the one they were training in previously is that everything they're doing now although it's not position specific sessions on the on the, on the tin if you like um but they feel it's more relevant to what they are expected to do in a game yeah. Whereas in a lot of environments, you know, we do a finishing practice where you've got every single player doing finishing. In the same in the same respect, you know, well, it's just going to be relevant to the people who are actually going to be doing it. Yes, it's going to support other people in developing their ability to finish, potentially. Yeah. Um, but fundamentally, there is still some key players within that, right? Indirectly. What would be some of those things that you maybe you would go after in, in a, a unit or a squad or a team-based session that might actually indirectly be looking at the goalkeeper. Yeah, I think going, you're talking about finishing and just kind of finishing the, not a little bugbear of mine, but, you know, the finishing practices have to be relevant. You know, they're not, they're never for the goalkeeper, which is fine. That's not a problem. But the areas of where you strike the ball, the, the movement before it can be relevant for the goalkeeper. You know, we understand that they'll get multiple shots within a period. That's fine. But, you know, maybe finishing six yards out unopposed with a touch would that happen in a game so it's again just making the sessions real you go back to like the position specific stuff linked to the goalkeeper you could do a finishing session where the ball is played to a number eight the number eight plays it to a two who then delivers to a forward so one finishing session can have multiple outcomes and as long as the picture is relevant and real that helps the goalkeeper like because it's everything that the goalkeeper needs to do in the game, do you know, and then the goalkeeping right. coach, if the co if the club has one, 
can coach the goalkeeper within the session because it's a better session than what the goalkeeper coach would do because it's a real picture if that yeah. makes sense yeah, yeah so i think instead of thinking of finishing session as you know set back and through and finish it could be you know an eight to a two out wide or a three out wide a dribble across cut back various outcomes that will help the goalkeeper massively instead of just one-to-one with the goalkeeping coach because they've got so many real outcomes haven't they so I'm just going to pick on something that you said there. That I found quite interesting. You said you mentioned there about the the unopposed finish. Yeah. Right. Um, just give give me a bit of an insight of what you mean by that specifically. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for one twenty nine each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. So, um, there's a lot of times where actually the goalkeeper is having to deal with it on the post finish. Or do you disagree yeah. with that? No, no, of course. Um, um, yeah, I think in terms, it just depends on where it is. I think... If you think about an unopposed finish, um, probably what I normally talk about is probably a cutback um, and then a striker might finish six to eight yards out completely unopposed. In a game, does that really happen? And there's either a body in the way or there's a run across or um, there's a pressure on the ball which affects the goalkeeper's position. So it's just trying to put them in areas where it might be a little bit real. So even if you have a passive defender, the goalkeeper will then base their position off the passive defender and the attacker and so I think it's just where it happens and the type of service before it reaches that outcome that's like the big thing you don't just want a ball cut across the box unopposed and somebody running in six yards to central the goal to finish how often does that happen you know no no I think you're sporting and I think one of the key things that you kind of touched there is that is having that even passive players in play can can make a fundamental difference, right? In terms of the mindset, in terms of recognition of the play, of the goalkeeper, of right, who's around me, what does that mean for me as a player, as yeah. a goalkeeper, rather. Um, so you know, one of the biggest things I, I actually personally, I don't, I don't like the idea of unopposed practice. Full stop. Um, I don't think it's that it doesn't, it can't work, or it's not effective in some ways. I just don't think it's the most efficient way of working, especially when you know a lot of the people probably listening to this are working in environments where they probably only have maybe one session a week if they yeah. or two if they're lucky and maybe they've only got a certain amount of space in their areas if they've got that you know but I think from a goalkeeping standpoint it, it one of the biggest experiences I had was you know around like I said the biomechanics piece is so it's so it's, it was so kind of focused in on especially when I did my goalkeeping level too many years ago um that that, that kind of always stuck with me into into the way I work with outfield players as well but one of the biggest things I kind of picked up over the, over the years is, well, actually, there's many ways to do it. So, you know, where do you start to look at in terms of what I've started to reference as some of the universal factors and some of the, you know, subjective factors in terms of what good goalkeeping should look like? Because this is this is a really interesting one for me, because it's like fundamentally, well, what's the goalkeeper's job? Well, to keep it out of the net, but it's not really that anymore, is it? No, no, I don't think it is. And... Um... I think we were, uh, it was on Monday Night Football the other night and, and they showed Anana and I think his expected goals was something like minus 0.45, which is, you want the goalkeeper doing plus, by the way. <laughs> but actually, his percentages on the ball were, were, were top of class. And I think it switched the other way now. I think goal coaches and teams maybe are okay with the keeper conceding certain goals if they can play a bigger part in the build phase. Now... Right. Is that right or wrong? And you go back to, you talk about the way we coach in terms of decision making. 30 years ago, there was virtually no goalkeeping coaches and we had some of the best goalkeepers in the world. Then it went from the goalkeeper coach just working with the goalkeepers for an hour and we had the best goalkeepers in the world. Now it's like, oh no, they should be with the team. So I haven't really got one way because it's shown that many ways do work. It's about kind of what works for the players, the team, for you. So I'm a bit open in that, which is probably not the best answer. <laughs> but I just think, you know, you go to Spain, they join in with the team session first and then do the goalkeeping yeah. session at the end. They produce some great goalkeepers, you, you know. So I don't think there's a massive right or wrong way of doing it. It's how yeah. you deliver the messages and how you coach that 
is key, yeah. isn't it? Um, yeah, so I'm quite open on that question. If that yeah, helps. I'm just I'm just thinking about what you said there, Nick. You know, it, you just if you take that Anano example as um, as one, um, whether in a roundabout way we've gone back to the top of the conversation where we're saying, well, actually, we're going to start to see maybe a trend of more outfield coaches working with goalkeepers because actually they're essentially now become that eleventh yeah. player on the pitch. Um, but yeah, it's quite an interesting one actually to think about whether that would actually happen and whether the, you know whether they would just go and get themselves a bit of an understanding on basic level of what goalkeepers should look like, right? So I guess you know in, in, it's interesting. So in terms of that, then um, made a point earlier about communication, getting the goalkeepers just comfortable doing elements of communication, not and not really being specific about it at this point in time. Um, if you were to now try and give some specifics on how goalkeeping coaches or how outfield coaches or just general coaches could support the goalkeepers, especially young ones, what are some of the key things you want them to start to think about around what they should and could be communicating? Because I think, like I said, the, the phrase often is, right, goalkeeper, communicate with your defence. But there's never actually any guidance or enough guidance around what it should be. And it could be, like I said, the goalkeeper, the coaches themselves might not know themselves. Yeah. Where, where would you guide their attention to? Yeah, so... It depends on how much depth you want to go into, but I think in terms it looks like, you know, what you say and everyone understands what you say. So there's other things like teams will say slide, they'll say press, they'll play high, whatever that is, everyone has different terminology. So it's making sure that whatever the keeper says, everyone understands what they're saying. So if they say slide, yeah, they they understand what that means because everyone has different terminology. So kind of creating a team language if you like where everyone understands what that means and then understanding about the timing so the timing that you communicate so do you do it early if you do it too early do they forget and um, and then what you say has to be quick sharp to the point has to be a good tone so they can hear and they can understand what that means and um, then you're looking at things like you know yeah back foot left shoulder and um, turn out play forward kind of basic terms but everyone has to understand what that means to you and mm. they have to understand what that comes across so I always find that's the biggest barrier as well that keepers have or coaches have a range of topics or names but does everyone understand what you're saying mm. and what they want from that so kind of creating like a little communication bank if you like so yeah you know they understand what this means and they understand what that means and I'm going to talk to you here so it's just that word that might happen off the pitch doesn't have to happen on it um, and that can give you the basis when you're on the grass yeah no I, I, definitely I think I think like you said you know having a club language if you like an almost a glossary of terms and, and phrases that that, they, that everyone's kind of comfortable and uh, familiar with but building on what you've just said there though I'm just thinking now um How much, how much, how much setting of expectations should there be? Because I'm now thinking, right, from a player, from a goalkeeper standpoint to the player standpoint, how much expectation should be set around? Actually, this is what the goalkeeper is going to be expected to do. You're going to have to respond to that. Is that, is that does that make sense? Because I think yeah. there's, often, there's, you know, there's often that piece around whether rightly wrongly. I think there is a um, a resistance uh, there is a segregation to some extent i know it's changing and we've seen a lot of changes over the years around what that should or could look like but fundamentally we're getting to a point now where it's a lot more integrated but it hasn't always been that way and it probably still isn't that way in, in, in many environments as well so how, how do you get to that point where the players actually start to understand actually the goalkeeper's got some relevant useful information and we need to take that on board because there's probably players who are still in that you know regardless of their age they're probably still in that old school mindset of yeah, you're the goalkeeper, just do your job. <laughs> I think it goes back to what we've been saying the whole time, like working together. Because, um, for example, on a finishing drill, the goalkeeper can tell the striker exactly what they don't like. Right? The, the striker can tell the goalkeeper exactly what they do like. You know, So when you do this movement, this is what I like. And I, I would always finish if you set like that because I can do this, which then gets the goalkeeper thinking. So it's the same in return. Do we create those opportunities for the goalkeepers and the players to talk about what they want and what they what that looks like? So vice versa, if a centre-back plays the ball back to the goalkeeper, do we have that conversation of, well, how do you want it set back in this instance? Do you want it to be one touch? Do you want it to be here? What does this arm mean? You know, this arm mean I might want it wider. And then same for the centre-back. You tell me how you want the ball. I want it to my back foot so I can play forward on one touch or I want it in front of me here. 
until you have those conversations, no one knows what they want from each other. So I think the barriers might come is if we don't allow those conversations or just let them question each other. OK, what do you want from that? And when this happens, what do you want from your goalkeeper? So until you start having those conversations and having it as part of your sessions, you won't see it change overnight. But if you keep doing it, you will see a drastic change in terms of the way the team works and the players work together, really. Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, fully, I fully get what you mean there. You know, I'm just thinking back now, you know, to a recent experience I had, obviously, you're talking there about building those. Really, what you're doing is, you know, you're saying you're creating an environment where they're actually engaging as, as often as possible so that when it becomes a situation where they have to do it in a game, it's not foreign to them, right? Um, conscious of time, there's obviously goalkeeping coaches probably listening to this as well. Got a goalkeeper coming in from scratch. What's the first priority for you? Oh, great question. Um, so I kind of use it maybe relevant experience. So if I was at club now, the big thing that I would look at is the, how they want to play to how the team want to play. So if you're thinking more of a professional like higher academy, you know, what do we want out of a goalkeeper? What does that look like? What are our priorities? We have to give something up. And um, whether that's we want them to really defend the space well, claim crosses, but we're okay if they can't play out or they haven't got a high succession rate. Could be the other way, typical to Anana sort of thing. What does that look like? For me, I think the biggest thing, and it's really hard to teach this, is around the decision making of what they do. So you spoke earlier about one-to-one -one goalkeeping coaching. Um, personally, I quite like twos, threes, four, fives, because I can create the decision making element. Anyone can stand and kind of volleyball and someone catch it. It's great. It works, but there's no decision. There's no element around, oh, there's a player here or I've got to do this movement here. So actually, I think if I had a goalkeeper from scratch, I'd want four other goalkeepers and kind of work in like a four or five and work on all those elements that create decision making, which means they can make the best decisions at the best moments and then just work from there. Because for me, you can't have an effective action without a decision before that. So mm. you've got to try and coach decisions. So I know that's not technical or maybe not a typical answer, but I think coach decisions. If you can coach decisions, the rest comes. It comes quite yeah. quickly. Um, but but, but, but what, I'm just, what I'm getting at there now is you've, you've gone straight towards shot stopping, yeah? Yeah, it could be shot stopping. Um, it could be playing out. So if you have four or five, it could be that um, we play a small-sided game, 3v3. Because yeah. um, if you play a small-sided game and you've got five or six goalkeepers and it's 3v3, you get playing out from the back, you get receiving, you get passing, you get 1v1s, you get crosses, you get shots. Those are the fun elements. And then, of course, you can start to look to build on that. Um, I think ultimately it depends on their background. Again, yeah, a lot of it is around their handling and making effective saves. That's the biggest part, isn't it, of the game? And then when you start to introduce them to the team, then obviously they'll get the playing out and, and so on. But I think, yeah, just trying to coach decision making in, in all elements is is key. Sure. So obviously you've, you've, you know, you've spoken a little bit already from, if you like, quote unquote, high performance environment. Mm -hmm. um, what about someone who's might be in that environment, might not be in the environment, but they've they've made a transition to now actually they, they want to become a goalkeeper. Where do you start with that? Because, you know, I've had I've had some interesting conversations with different coaches about this one. Um, for me. I say I'm going straight to the footwork. I want them to understand how to move around the goal because, you know, yeah, they've had enough time and experience in their life to maybe not be the best at catching, but understand what it looks like to catch. Yeah. Yeah, I think, again, yeah, if you think about the kind of run, throw, catch, just going to coaching is something they were doing in primary school, something they were doing multiple sports that it looks like. What you tend to find, maybe from personal experience, ones who have one-to-one -one goalkeeping sessions move in a certain way. Mm. So they don't move quite freely. They're quite rigid in rigid, their movement. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Set like this. I have to move like this. When goalkeeping's not like that now, you need to, like you said, going back to um, maybe S and Cs or biometric. You just need to move. You need to have good hips that can open round and light on your feet and play tagging games because that's what gets you to move effectively, isn't it? And mm. um, and not limiting children younger players to this movement because they'll need other movements within the game um, mm -hmm. 
so yeah, you're right. Footwork at moving across the goal, moving freely, um, can then give them really good opportunities to perform actions, can't they? They can get there quicker, they can set quicker, they can do whatever they want to if they can get into position quicker. Um, yeah, it's a really good point, actually. Um, yeah, something I haven't thought about. So it's a good, good question, that. <laughs> yeah, no, because I think as I, you know, I was, I was, I was, I remember delivering on a coach's conference recently, and it was delivering a goalkeeping workshop, um, and that was my key focus. And I just want to get comfortable moving around the goal because fundamentally like you just said there well I can teach them how to catch a ball I'm gonna teach them how to stop a shot potentially um but if they can't move in the first place to get there to do it it doesn't mean anything no so no. let me let me let me nail that bit let me get them comfortable moving around the goal it doesn't you know and hopefully it's not as rigid as maybe it, it, it sometimes can look and be um but if they can understand what maybe good mechanics are around that element what it, you know, covering certain distances, how they get across different distances in different ways, and, um, and and just get themselves in line, then we can start to build on the next piece, which might be the shot stopping yeah, yeah. piece. But the, the fundamentally, they've gone in goal. The first thing I'm thinking, well, they're probably not going to be afraid to take a shot against them, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So totally, they're gonna yeah, they're gonna put their bodies totally. in the way. Yeah, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. Um, so let's get them moving so they can get their bodies in the way more often. And obviously then the more repetition they get with that, then we can start making the focus around those decisions, right? In terms of, right, well, how am I going to approach this? Am I going to go with this this handship or that handship? Am I even going to dive or try and move, again, move my feet across to the point where actually I don't have to dive? Because that's another common challenge, right? With, with um, maybe younger or novice goalkeepers is they think everything has to have a dive involved. I think as well, like you just mentioned the dive. I think where coaching's changed is, we used to teach hand shapes and things like that. You still do to a certain extent, but now it's like, well, if you catch it like that and it's effective, it's fine. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that that wouldn't have happened uh, 15 years ago, but who are we to say right or wrong? And it's. But, okay, but you know what? You're spot, spot on. Because I, I just go back to you know an experience that I had, and, and it, like, this this is this is always stayed with me. It's influenced my coaching ever since. Where you know where I would teach a specific handshape, or I teach this, or I teach that. Or coach this, coach that. But then I got put in a situation where I had several goalkeepers from different parts of the world, um, and and I had a practice set up for them. I can't remember exactly what it was, but or what the specific outcome was. But what I remember just at the time is none of them did it how I said I wanted it done, right? But they all got success. So I had to kind of catch myself in the moment, thinking, right, what's going on here? It's, it's, it's not working no well, actually no it is working they're getting success but okay well what's going on well it doesn't look how i wanted it to look yeah and then i had to check myself well it's not about how i wanted it to look it's, are they getting success and then you know and then what i indirectly ended up doing off the back of that was saying well actually well why does chris do it this way why does this guy do it this way why does that person do it this way um what are the things that i can look at visibly and say right okay that's probably what's influenced that well you know it could be that you know chris is from spain and there's a there's a there's a great emphasis in in Spanish goalkeeping around more foot saves, as an example. Or it could be that actually Chris is from I don't know Brazil, and you know he's sick. He's got no influence around how he plays, but actually he's quite comfortable with his feet, so he takes more risks or whatever that looks like. Yeah. And it just started to maybe you know you kind of you know extend my thoughts around what those considerations were. So you know building on that. My question to you is this. Yes, we want to work around individuals. But if you were trying to, again, coach someone from scratch, what are the fundamental things that you're going to go after in terms of what you think a goalkeeper should be able to do? And yes, you have, you know, there is that piece fit in line with what the club want, what the organisation yeah, yeah. want. But where, where, where do you start with the foundations on that? Yeah, I think... Just going back, like what you said, where everyone's slightly different. Um, I think when I was at Tottenham Women two seasons ago, we had two keepers, different goalkeepers, both super effective, ended up playing like 50% of the games each, played a super season, um, two completely different. So there, it was just them understanding what they do and what it gives them and what it doesn't give them. Right. So if um one wanted to play a little bit deeper but she was really good reactive that's fine so it's like well look if you're playing that way you know she's you know experienced by the way international plays at world cups i'm not going to tell her what she can and can't do but it's her understanding well if i'm going to play deeper i've got this strength but i might give up this so i have to understand that we had a trade-off and, 
yeah 100 percent. so you coach those as well it's like you talk about the handling okay fine it didn't look the way, the way we wanted it to look but it's effective but if you tell them that actually right you're catching it like this if you catch it like this this could also work kind of just so you know that if this happens or a constant drop happens we might have to change the shape as long as they're aware of the trade-offs like what you said then i think that's key isn't it um but yeah going back in terms of like just building that goalkeeper the biggest thing for me is around like confidence in terms of i always feel like you can always retract something from someone but you can't let them go it's always harder the other way mm-hmm. so you talk about the coaching of what that looks like i'd be really happy if an under 10 goalkeeper come outside the box 100 times in a game didn't get the ball 100 times that's fine with me not a problem because i know that i can teach that goalkeeper how to come back slightly yeah what you struggle to teach is the other way yeah. you know, the goalkeeper that's stuck on the line to then come out the challenge we have is that if that goalkeeper does it 100 times within a game people are saying don't do it again yeah it, it's that wording around it isn't it so yeah. i think building the confidence to do it to make mistakes and do the mistake again is absolutely fine at a certain age even though some coaches and outfield coaches might not like that but that's just what we do isn't it you can't I think it's easier to attract something from someone yeah. and go the other way so trying to just get them super confident come for that ball oh it's a bit far don't worry come for it yeah. try it see what happens okay fine and we're talking nine ten year olds you know it's yeah, not... yeah and then when uh, they get older they learn that i think it's relevant to all ages and i think one of the biggest things that i've kind of um you know we always get asked well, what's the role of the coach you know what is the role of the coach right you know everyone's got their own definition their own viewpoint and what that looks like and i think i'm i'm currently sitting on a definition which is um around the idea that actually the role of the coach is to raise the awareness of the players around <clears throat> raise the awareness of players around the variables which can impact on performance right um whether that's directly or indirectly whether it's actually me telling you actually this is these are the variables or whether it's me working through actually what okay, chris is he, you know we've identified these are your strengths what what are some of those traders and us having a conversation um but fundamentally if you're going back to the decision making piece if i can help you understand the variables which do impact on your performance and you've got consideration of those consciously um I'd like to believe yeah. you're in a better place to make a decision right yeah because you've got more information at hand um but you know just building uh, coming back to one of the points that you made there because this is one of the major things with goalkeeping right it's a very lonely world at times and um, you've talked there about having two goalkeepers playing 50 percent of the game time now it's not an ideal situation for them or for you guys as coaches in that moment but it's probably a best case scenario for them right now yeah on the yeah, flip side so... of that you've got situations where one person's playing 100 percent yeah and the other person just there as a, as, a, as a training keeper if you like how do you yeah. manage that yeah i think uh, the back in time in terms of tottenham it was how we set the expectations at the start of the season in terms of where we felt they both were where we felt they were both competing and um, like i said both top goalkeepers in their own right had different strengths which then could mean that we could play them in different games to help the team and, and help us perform and then as long as we were honest and we stuck to what we said at the start of the season, it was fine. We didn't have one issue throughout the season because we stuck to what we said at the start. We were truthful with them. We were honest with them. Mm-hmm. And whether they didn't like it or not, which I'm sure at some points they didn't because they want to yeah. play, they never showed that because we were truthful all the way throughout and we set those expectations at the start. And I think that's the same as if you have a one and two. You set it at the start, right at the start in terms of what it is and what they need to do to maybe challenge that person mm. and as long as you're factual with that throughout then you can't go wrong you've said it clear and that's just where your yeah. communication comes in doesn't it and i think you're spot and i think it's a great point because you know one of the things i always say to coaches you know players don't always like what you say but if you're if you're consistent yeah they'll respect it 100 um, yeah and as soon as you start wavering from that and you start saying well i'm going to be consistent today but i'm going to be inconsistent tomorrow and you pick and choose when you want to enforce certain things you're going to lose their respect um and even within that you know they fundamentally if they know that's what they're coming into that helps them prepare for it <laughs> yeah, i mean there's no surprises. Say, you know in that that instance if we weren't going to play one of the goalkeepers and manager always say what are you going to say to her 
like we've got to be really clear you know because it can't exactly like you said it, mm. you can't just oh because we're going to do this and then yeah. think about what we said at the start what did we agree at the start and just be truthful with it throughout yeah. and actually that put us in good stead for that season yeah. and you know the goalkeepers understood it and of course they always want to play 100 percent of the games but actually we didn't have no issues because we kept to it and um, and it's, it's the same really important there with it, chris as well is that with anything we know it's okay to then change that as long as the conversation also takes place correct right we yeah. you know this is, i know we agreed on this however this is where we're at yeah we now I think it's just not conversation it's just like human beings in it we don't like change and if you spring it on someone of course they're going to be or you say actually you're not playing because of this but you've never told them that there's no indication of it yeah <laughs> it doesn't help anyone so it's then you're also saying Oh, actually, look, you can do this. You can play here if you do this. Um, and then you just do that weekly with them. Oh, actually, mm. I've seen you do that. And this has been really good. But actually, this goalkeeper's done this. And this is why we're making this decision. Could be the right decision, could be the wrong decision. Yeah. They understand what that means. And I think that just comes with time and trust. And as soon as you break that trust, you go back to the difference between goalkeeper and outfield coaches. We work on a two and three basis. So... If you break that trust, it's quite awkward, I'd imagine. Just being honest and open with that yeah. small group. And that's something that, you know, in my role now, obviously I'm new to it, but we'll set expectations between us, um, which we haven't done yet. But they'll lead that. And then I have to kind of not adhere to it, but I have my input as well as obviously leading the group. But, you know, how are we going to act? How are we going to talk? And if honesty is one of them, we all need to be honest. And that's back at me as well. You know, if you feel that I've done something or something's challenging, we need to create that environment. And whether you're a goalkeeping coach, coach, whatever, I think if you set that, you spoke about trust earlier, you build the trust, they then start listening to maybe some of the things you want. I can have all the knowledge in the world, which I don't. But if I don't get the trust of the players and I don't you know get that across they will never listen to me so it yeah. doesn't matter does it so as a coach it doesn't really matter what you know it's how you and, deliver your message personally and I think there's something else really important what you just said there right there's a difference between them trusting you as an individual and trusting you as a coach yeah right because the thing is that you know and I was having this conversation with coaches recently that with with players they don't have to like you but if they if they if they if they can appreciate and respect the fact that you know what you're talking about and you've and you've got that confidence you've got that knowledge they will still listen to you because they can trust your your experience and your knowledge in that respect. Um, conversation has gone in so many different directions, Chris, yeah, which yeah, is fantastic. Right. So, you know, I'll, I'm going to finish up by asking you this. What, what are some of the key takeaways that you want coaches to start to think about specifically off the back of this conversation? Yeah, the biggest thing for me, and, and sometimes when we're on the goalkeeper coach, uh, coaches courses, is of course the technical detail underlines everything you do. We get that. You want to progress. You have to have a good understanding of the role, no matter if you're outfield, goalkeepers, whatever that looks like. But for me, the way you deliver the message and the way you coach is for me is paramount. And um, the way that you talk, the tone of your voice, the way that your sessions flow. You know, you don't really talk about that, to be honest with you. You talk about the technical detail. You talk about, right, it needs to look like this and this. But they don't talk about, well, actually, the session needs to flow because they need to get enough repetition. So I think the biggest thing is really focus on how you deliver, you know, the how part. How am I going to deliver this? How am I going to communicate? And what are the rules going to be? And then the technical detail, because you already have that underpinned, will just take control but just really think about how you're going to coach because i think how you coach is that saying isn't it of like people always remember how you were taught or something like that in terms of you remember your favorite teachers but you don't remember how you got taught maths for example yeah you just remember your favorite teacher yeah, you yeah, don't yeah. quite remember why you remember your favorite teacher yeah, yeah, sometimes yeah. you just remember a certain individual and i think that's because of the way they were the way they acted not necessarily how they taught you English or maths or PE, whatever that looks like. The way they interacted. Yes. Yeah. Because I think think it's a great, I think it's a great point because, you know, fundamentally it it can't be a one size fits all approach, right? Yeah. And I think that's, that's the difference. But, you know, this is the piece around where, yes, we want to give everyone equal opportunities, but it's not necessarily equal treatment. It's fair treatment. It's appropriate. It's relevant. And it's, it's bespoke. So I think, you know, it's a great piece to kind of end on. Chris, Really appreciate your time and massive thank you for taking time out to obviously join me and have this conversation. Like I said, it's gone in so many different directions. I'm hoping there's going to be little bits of information that people from different areas of the game, whether outfield or goalkeeping coaches, um, can tap tap onto. Um, 
Massive thank you again, Chris. Uh, uh, thanks for having me on, Yes, Really appreciate it. Hopefully uh, people will pick up. But yeah, I think, like I said, hopefully that just triggers a few conversations. I'm sure the coaches listening, you know, like what we spoke, have more knowledge than us put together. And it's just about, like you said, working together in it and sharing that and helping each other to help the players. That's what we're here for. Most definitely. And congratulations on your new role. Wish you all the best for the new season as well. Thank you very much. There you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.